Well, I I love that bumper that you just saw. That bumper that Sam and Mike put together for this series. When I see that bumper, I see a person who is able to just have calm. When the world around them, it's just chaotic. and it's, But it just becomes a blur because they're walking at a very different pace. I love that. And I'd imagine, um, this is a pretty rhetorical question, but I'd imagine um, many of you would be able to see, could use more peace and use more centeredness and use more focus in such a chaotic world. Would anyone else like to be more securely anchored to who you are and whose you are? And to have a really clear sense of here's where I'm headed. Well, that's what this series is about. And if you're just joining us, this is part five. In a five-part series on a topic called Sabbath. As I was preparing for this series, I came across this quote. At some point, we all look for a Sabbath, whether or not that's what we call it. Isn't that good? That is so true. Well, one of the reasons we did this series is because there's a whole lot of people, there is something in you that is longing for Sabbath, but you didn't know that's what it was. And then there's a whole lot of us where we did the series for this reason. So many of us, myself included, we have all these thoughts about what we think Sabbath is, but so many of those thoughts didn't come from the Bible itself. And so many of us, we've never done a deep dive into what does the Bible actually say, what does the Bible not say, about a practice that literally changed the way the world tracks time. That was one of my discoveries. I didn't even know that about Sabbath. All right, let me give you one of the examples here from my own life. Here's one of my own facts. I always say, you know, hey, fact check us on this, fact check us on this. There was a time where one of my facts didn't check out, and it was about Sabbath. It was about 10 or 12 years ago. It was shortly after we founded the church. We just moved to the community center. And on a Sunday morning, I said something to the effect of, hey, um, if you're going to the Bible, you can make a case that you practice Sabbath on Saturday. You can also make the case that the early Christians shifted to Sunday in honor of the resurrection. And after the service, a guy comes up to me. And he goes, I want to challenge you on that. And we went to the Bible together. He was right. He was right. In the Bible, Sabbath consistently, when they talk about Sabbath, consistently it is the time period from sundown on Friday until sundown on Saturday. That's the Sabbath that God commanded the people to observe in the Old Testament. That's the Sabbath that Jesus observed. That's the Sabbath that Paul observed. And I was basing my case on for a new Sunday Sabbath on passages like Acts 20, verse 7, 1 Corinthians 16, 2, Revelation 1, 10, and then some general principles that I pulled from Paul's letters to the Romans, Colossians, and Galatians. In those verses, you can start to see traces that there is a newfound appreciation and observance of the first day of the week and honor the resurrection, but you don't see these two things getting blurred, at least not in Scripture, you don't. As one of my sources put it as I was looking into this, they said, quote, there's no conclusive evidence for widespread, even widespread Christian gatherings on Sundays until the second century. Some sources go as far as to say this, you can't find a record of Sunday taking on Sabbath characteristics until Constantine, until he started making some laws saying, hey, you can't do these kind of things on Sundays. If you take a deeper dive, Bible dictionaries, research-based commentaries, they say things like this, there is no hint anywhere in the ministry of Jesus that the first day of the week is to take on the character of the Sabbath and replace it. Well, for centuries, Christians like me, we've blurred the lines. You know, we, we think sometimes in our heads, 
this is something you can find in the Bible about Sabbath, and it's not as clear as we thought it was, which then gets me wondering, you know, what else have I come to believe about Sabbath that isn't necessarily there? That's one of the reasons we, we did this series, because many people were experiencing that. A number of the sources that I looked at in preparation for the series, they actually laid into Christians on this. I mean, they, they came at us hard, especially some people from outside the faith. One of them even coined the phrase Christian Sabbatinarianism, they said. And they said that, you know what that is? They said, it's when we just, as Christians, we just reduce Sabbath to a tool for self-improvement. Or recently, more recently, a cure for the addiction to technology. That we're using that term just for that. Another scholar said this about the way many Christians approach Sabbath. This kind of Christianity is a me religion. God loves me. Christ died for me. Jesus saved me. Heaven is prepared for me. Okay, these things are true. But in the end, what is ultimately Christianity about? It's about God. So if we reduce Sabbath to simply finding a day to take off, or a day to be device-free, or as Pastor Dan put it last week, a way to optimize our faith, we're missing the point. Because Sabbath, as the Bible presents it, it is so much more. So much more. Which then brings us back to the question that we opened this series with. If you're taking notes, I want to invite you to write this down. What does Scripture actually say about one of the most misunderstood, ignored, necessary, and delightful commands ever given? At Emmanuel, we do our absolute best to go to the Bible itself and use that as our standard for belief and practices. And I think this next quote makes a really good point. Whenever people begin reading the book, they start keeping the Sabbath. When they keep the Sabbath, they read the book. For the last four weeks, we've invited you to take a deeper dive, to to fact check us on this. Especially since so many of us, we were learning these things fresh and new. Looking what the Bible does and doesn't say. We created a helpful resource hub. You can go to emmanuel.church slash resources. We strongly, strongly, strongly encourage you to do a deep dive of your own. Now, as a church, we don't claim to have all the answers. We're not going to be like, oh, we looked it up, and so now here's the definitive, you know, everything you need to know about Sabbath. But as a church where we're tr- that's trying to remain true to the Bible, here's our plan then for today as we try to bring this series to a close. Um, and for those of you who downloaded uh, the notes and those of you who are here and you have these, I think we might have set a record for this new <laughs> We have a lot of little words here. We, this is content rich, and it might be helpful for you to download this today, even if you normally don't, because we're going to cover a lot of ground um, here, here today. But what we're going to do is basically this. One, we're going to recap our journey so far. Number two, we have one more Bible passage that really is key to all this, and we're going to take a look at that. We're going to concisely summarize the biblical principles, and then we're going to give you a couple thoughts on how you could apply this today. So here we go. Let's start with the recap of what the Bible says about Sabbath. Here's where we've been. If you're taking notes, I want to invite you to write this down. Where is it written? That is the question that we've been wrestling with over the last four weeks. What does the Bible actually say about Sabbath? And the first thing we saw is that Sabbath goes all the way back to the beginning. We spent week one in the opening pages of Genesis where we were introduced to a very good God who does very good work. God creates the cosmos in six days. And on the seventh day, we're introduced to that Hebrew word Shabbat which means to cease. At the end of chapter 1, God shabbats from all this work he'd been doing for the six days. He then blesses the seventh day, and he declares that seventh day to be holy. 
In Genesis 2, we're introduced to another important Hebrew word, nuach. It's a word that means to be nestled into a dwelling place of peace and rest, of abundance and safety and security. But then humanity rebels. And in Genesis 3, we see there's consequences when we're not aligned with God, just as the Creator warned us there would be. The first two people, in their case, they were cast out of this dwelling place. And it's as if then their experience goes back from the Nuach to the pre-Shabbat world. It's filled with chaos and darkness and death. It is now a life of toil and broken relationships and pain. Or humanity, we can't Nuach in the same way that we once did when we were placing our trust in our Creator. So that was week one. Then comes week two. Week two, we spend most of our time going through what does the rest of the Old Testament say? about Sabbath. And here's what we saw in the Old Testament. Sabbath set the Hebrews apart. The Old Testament it is filled with references to the Sabbath. Sabbath is introduced as a command in the book of Exodus, a command that then contrasts with the demands that Pharaoh was putting on people. This command from God hyperlinks then back to Genesis, to God's own rhythm in the book of Genesis. The command of Sabbath on the seventh day, it's included in what we call the Ten Commandments. And we saw that this is the commandment out of all of them that has the most words dedicated to it. The consequence for breaking the Sabbath was severe. Does anyone remember what it was? Death. It was death. Now, one of, And yet, even though the consequences are so severe, very little specifics are actually given in the Old Testament on what exactly is and isn't a violation. All right, well, one of the remarkable aspects of Sabbath that really was jumping out to me is how Sabbath protections were extended to everyone. Everyone. Rich and poor, men and women, young and old, citizens and sojourners, slave and free. Even the animals, even the land was under Sabbath protections. So no wonder, properly understood, no wonder the Bible says Sabbath is a delight. It is a delight. It is a time to rest. It is a time to remember. It's a time to reconnect. It's a time to restore and so many good things. And there's promises associated with the Sabbath keeping, like this one from Isaiah 58. If you honor my holy day, not going your own ways, then you shall take delight in the Lord and I'll make you ride on the heights of the earth for the mouth of the Lord has spoken One of the phrases you're going to see multiple times repeated in the Old Testament is my Sabbath. Not meaning like my Sabbath, God saying my Sabbath. And it's contrasted with people doing their own thing on on the Sabbath day. When people start practicing their own versions of God's Sabbath in the Old Testament, that's considered a sign. A sign that you're breaking the covenant with God. So one of my own personal takeaways, especially when we were in the Old Testament section, was I want to be careful about that. I want to be careful throwing around the phrase of, hey, when do you take your Sabbath? Instead of, when do you take your day off? <laughs> Something like that, right? So I'm also, I want to say too, now that we're, we get it through the New Testament, I'm also slower to point fingers at others regarding their, their uh, personal Sabbath practices too. Oh, well, in the Old Testament, people disregarded God's warnings about his Sabbath and other laws. And then there were consequences for that, just as there were in the garden. In this case, consequences were exile, an occupation of the land. All right, so that was week two. And then in that same week, week two, we also spent time digging in to that time between the Testaments, that time between the end of the Old Testament and the start of the New. 
so much happened in that time that was so insightful because that is the world that Jesus stepped into. And that is the world that Jesus was responding to. And so that's the next bullet we come to in our notes. In the time between the Testaments, we saw people developed a wide range of beliefs and practices. They didn't all land in the same place. There was a wide range of understandings around Sabbath. And so Jesus stepped into a world where Sabbath itself now had become far more divisive than delightful, which then brings us to week three. If you want to understand the Sabbath, become a disciple of Jesus. Studying Jesus, it just was so good to actually go into all of those texts and dig into them. Because you can come away, if you just kind of listen casually to these things, you come away with this idea that Jesus was kind of dismissive of the Sabbath. Not at all. When it comes to Sabbath in the Old Testament, it's amazing. You know, I, I liken what you see in the Old Testament when you when you read it all and you study it. It's like this painting that you can't add anything or take anything away from it without lessening it. So you come away from the Old Testament going, I, I don't know what I could add to this or, or take away from it without lessening this painting. But then you get to Jesus, and it's all of a sudden you have this beautiful thing. And now it's like it's 3D. That's what Jesus does to it. It goes from two-dimensional to three-dimensional. In the Gospels, Jesus observes Sabbath, but it's so much more than that. He launches his public ministry on the Sabbath. He embodies the Sabbath. Sabbath is even woven into his death and resurrection. When his enemies tried to accuse Jesus of breaking the Sabbath, what did he do? He said, you want to go there? Let's go there. He went deeper into the scriptures, and it was revealed they didn't know as much about Sabbath as they thought they knew. They knew this world that had kind of developed after the Old Testament that wasn't grounded necessarily in God's word. So much of what they were calling Sabbath were things that others had added or even twisted over time, which is a lot like our world today. The context for the conversations that you even find with Jesus and the others about Sabbath, they're even fascinating. Because here Jesus is doing good. He's healing people and things like that on the Sabbath. What are they trying to do? They're trying to kill him. What an interesting contrast there. Well, over the course of these conversations, or should I say confrontations, Jesus reveals, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, he says. Which is why he could say, come to me, all of you who are weak and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. All right, that was week three. Week three flows right into week four. Week four, we looked at the example and teachings of the Apostle Paul, who was looking back at Jesus. And for Paul, <laughs> it is all about Christ and authentic Christian communities that are living and sharing the good news of King Jesus. Like Jesus, Paul observed the Sabbath, but... Unlike Paul's frequent and repeated teachings on topics like greed, sexual immorality, sound doctrine, unity in Christ, caring for the poor, which he talked about a lot, unlike those topics, how many direct references in all of Paul's writings do we have about the Sabbath? We have one. One. In Colossians chapter 2. Just one. And in that passage, Paul says, Sabbath is like a shadow. The reality is where? It's in Christ. That's where the reality is. If Paul were alive today, 
I don't think it is a stretch for him to go, why are you even arguing about this? Your practices versus their practices. That is like standing outside with flashlights, shining them at the sun on a sunny, cloudless day on the beach, and you're saying, my flashlight is better at illuminating the sun than yours. I mean, that that's like, that, that seems to be kind of what Paul is getting at. He's like, in fact, in Colossians, what does he say? Whatever you do, word or deed, he says, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he says. And then he also adds this in that context. He's like, be slow to be judging others. Be slow to be pointing fingers at each other. And if you get fingers pointed at you, you know, just just don't let that trip you up. That's my summary of Paul. All right, we have one more passage, and it's a key passage that we want to look at as we look at what the Scripture has to say about Sabbath principles. And then we'll talk application. It's found in the book of Hebrews. If you're taking notes or following along with the outline in this week's bulletin, our last bullet under where is it written is this. The book of Hebrews provides a helpful Sabbath summary. It's a really helpful Sabbath summary. If you have your Bible with you, let's open up to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. If you don't have a Bible at home, you can go right now to Bible.com. They have an amazing free Bible app and a whole lot more at that site. All right. These words are probably going to sound familiar to many of you, but a lot of times we don't make the connection between the context. Here's what it says. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. It is easy to forget that the context for that passage is what? A conversation about Sabbath. That's what comes immediately before this. We'll show you the verses here in just a minute. If you want to understand Sabbath, read Hebrews, especially these opening chapters, 1, 2, 3, and 4. I can't think of a single section of Scripture after reading all these that provides a better Sabbath summary than we find here in Hebrews. Hebrews connects the Old Testament and the New Testament. Hebrews connects the past, the present, and the future. It describes the rest that we find that goes all the way back to the beginning. And then it describes a rest that the people could have experienced as they were experiencing the exodus from slavery, but they didn't. They didn't. There was also described, they had this opportunity to have a rest when they entered the promised land, but the people didn't. That's in Hebrews. Hebrews says, learn from that. Learn from that today. What can we learn from those who could have experienced rest and they didn't? What can we learn from them? It says things like this. Don't be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Don't turn away from the living God. Again, this is being written post-Jesus. This is being written then. Don't be like those. It's Hebrews says, who weren't able to enter God's rest because of their unbelief. And then they say repeatedly, today, if you hear his voice, if you hear the word of God, say yes to his invitation today. These are the verses that come right before. Now we're going to take a look at this. These are the verses that come right before that passage about the word of God. This is it. And it's about Sabbath. This is our Hebrews chapter 4, 
verses 9 through 11. Again, this is right before that passage on the Word of God. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his work, just as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience that we've seen in the past. Wow. There's so many just amazing connections here. There is a Sabbath rest yet to come, Hebrews says. And it's a kind of rest that is so unique, the author of Hebrews may have created a brand new word for it. That in our English translations, it's often translated as Sabbath rest. That's just one Greek word, and it's a word you don't find anywhere else. In, in anywhere else in the rest of the Bible. Um, there is a form of Sabbath rest that is waiting, that they're trying to describe here. They needed a new word for it. It's not fully here yet, but you can get a taste of it in Christ. As does Paul, the author of Hebrews, he makes the point, this is all ultimately about Jesus. It's all about him. Jesus, Hebrews says, he's like Aaron and the priests, only better. Jesus is like Moses, only better. Jesus is like the angels, only better. In Greek, they have some fun with this in Hebrews. In Greek, the name Joshua and Jesus, it's the same name in Greek. And so they, they talk about how, okay, Joshua, using the same Greek word, name, he led them to the promised land, but they didn't really get the rest. Then he goes on to talk about Jesus. Let us therefore, the author of Hebrews says, enter into that rest, that rest, so that none of you may fall by the same sort of disobedience. That Sabbath rest we got access to. We place our faith in Jesus. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. We walk in his ways. That rest, it combines all of it. Everything we've been looking at for the last four weeks. Here is an excellent, concise summary. Take a look at this. Sabbath rest combines in itself creation commemoration. They're talking about Genesis there. They're saying Sabbath brings us back to Genesis. It also combines that with salvation experience. What they're talking about there is everything we've been reading about the Old Testament and the New. Salvation experience. And eschaton anticipation as the community of faith moves towards the final consummation of total restoration rest. What they're talking about there is this future day that's coming when Jesus comes back. Sabbath rest, it's all of that. All of that. We can experience all of that. That's what Sabbath is biblically understood. All right, if you're taking notes, we're going to head into the next block here, the next section. I invite you to write this down. If I had to take a shot at what are some characteristics or what are some things that happen when you observe the Sabbath biblically? That's what I want to just touch on right right now. Observing the, Bev- the Sabbath biblically. Here's my best 30-second summary of some of the things that happen when we honor the Sabbath biblically. When we do that, we honor, imitate, and deepen our walk with God. When we do that, we provide a weekly reminder that Christ is the vine and we're the branches. It strengthens community. It provides protections for the mar- marginalized. It provides perfection, protections for the rest of God's creation. It promotes important disciplines, builds margin and rest into our weekly rhythm, reminds us of God's kindness and patience and grace, reminds us of Sabbath jubilee and rest to come, provides a compelling witness 
to a world that's really weary and watching and so much more. When we observe Sabbath, these are the kind of things that are the outcomes of that. Could any of you use any more of that? I could. The Sabbath that Scripture casts a vision for can be the kind of practice that connects us with who we are and whose we are and where we're going and this whole, all this is going. So this book, there was early in the season or early in the series, um, I, I talked about a book by Abraham Heschel, which is the book that all the other books were quoting. So I'm like, I better read that one. This guy, he just stretched my mind in so many ways. One of the examples he gave is about this. When you're thinking about time and Sabbath, he said, imagine you're on a train and that train is just, you know, going really, really fast. When you're on the train, it looks like the world is flying by you, right? But which is still and which one's moving? And then he just messes with your mind and he goes, what if it's not time that's flying by? What if it's this world and all these things that are passing away? And what if Sabbath brings us into that whole way of seeing things? Where we're anchoring to that God who is outside of time. And we're letting go of what we think we need to grab onto. I think the guy, that's a whole new way of seeing things. Sabbath can serve as a weekly reminder that there's a God who is beyond time as we know it. And he wants to wake us up from grabbing onto all of these things that you can't ultimately hold on to because they're all passing away and helping us anchor to the things that are eternal. If we hit pause every seven days to stop our pointless pursuit of Pharaoh-like goals and we rest and we reconnect and we're renewed, think of what that could do in our lives. As Heschel put it, to have more doesn't mean to be more. We must learn to understand the world's already been created. It's going to survive without the help of us. Six days a week, we wrestle with the world, wringing profit from the earth. On the Sabbath, we especially care for the seed of eternity planted in the soul. The world has our hands, but the soul belongs to someone else. This is the kind of thing Sabbath can help us with. You know, you ever heard the phrase, flip the script? We need to flip the script because as we're going about life, our scripts get turned upside down and backwards. Sabbath can help get that script the way it should be properly read. If we take up God on his invitation, we just might experience more of this. Sabbath isn't simply a pause that refreshes. It's a pause that what? It's got the potential to do that. Which then brings us to the place where scripture brings us. In that key section of scripture that we referenced in Hebrews, the same invitation is provided at least three times. Author of Hebrews says, today, today. And he's quoting the Old Testament too. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Today, hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. We spent the last five weeks, last five weeks, looking at what the written word of God says about Sabbath. We're about to exit this space and time. Next week, we're going to start talking about some other things. There could be a whole lot of good intentions. Yeah, I should probably do more of that Sabbath thing. Today, 
hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. What could a takeaway be for you on this? What could be a step in the right direction? That's what I want to challenge all of us, myself included. I wrote it down. I'm like, what is this looking to look like, Chris, in your life? So here are a couple thoughts as you then start to wrestle with, how could I apply this in my own life? What could that look like? So if you're taking notes, we have the section then that we're switching into now, the last section here. How goes your walk? We've looked at where is it written. Now, how goes your walk? First bullet under there is this. And it actually starts before the Sabbath day, the time leading up to Sabbath. There is a different kind of rest that follows good work and helpful preparation. Can I get an amen to that? I mean, think about this. How restful do you feel when there's unresolved conflict? When you haven't done the hard work of, you know, right? Or others haven't. How much rest do you feel? You got a race coming up and you haven't trained for it. <laughs> How much rest do you feel when it's a really important project you haven't put in the work? You got a test, you haven't done the study. There's not rest with that, right? Apart from good work, there's a different kind of rest. Those who experience hangovers, right? You rest sleeping it off. That's a different kind of rest than after a great workout. There's different kinds of rest, right? There's a different kind of rest that comes after good work. Scripture says we are his workmanship. We're created in Christ to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. When we do excellent work, whether it's in music, art, construction, whatever the case may be, relationship building, there's a different kind of rest that you can have when you've done good work. And Sabbath, you can't really do Sabbath without the day of preparation or time of preparation. If you're going to take a day off, it takes time to prepare. There's a different kind of rest when you haven't done preparation, right? If you've been blowing off your studying all week, it comes to rest time. If you haven't, you can't really rest, right? Sabbath also helps us with this basic human discipline of preparing ahead of time. So many good things. So that's one thing I would say about Sabbath. You know, I think there's doing good work is part of it. It's part of it. All right, another one. Here's a huge takeaway for me. Are you prioritizing a weekend of ceasing, reflecting, reconnecting, and worship that anticipates Jesus' return? The reason I highlighted the word weekend on there is, for me personally, I'm not going to blur Sabbath and Sunday the way I used to. And I started going, how beautiful would it be if each of us were taking steps towards a weekend that had a Sabbath component to it, where we're, we're taking time to rest, just rest and reconnect with the things that matter most. And what if we also were including in that weekend a time of gathering with other people to celebrate that Jesus rose from the dead and that he's coming back? I mean, wouldn't that be something if we did that? And please hear my heart on this. I know that's hard. And I know we're in different situations, all of us. There are so many situations, seasons of life, things that make that really, really difficult. So I get that. And I hope you don't feel pointing fingers. But one of the things I do want to do is I don't want to let us off too easy for three reasons. One, because the language of Scripture is really strong on this. Number two, it's never been easy at any point in history for people to do this. We saw examples, people risking their lives to do this. 
And number three, the stakes are high. If you're not resting, if you're not reconnecting with God and his people, that affects everything. Everything. So here's what I'm just challenging us all on. What could a next step look like to build in and to rebuild our lives around these things? And as you're trying to figure that out, let me give you a compass setting. I think that's a good image here. A compass setting that could help you take the next step in the right direction. Have you set your compass when it comes to Sabbath to observe and enjoy? That's what I'm locking in on. Not dismiss and be dismissive or comply and judge. So imagine you've got a a channel and you have two riverbanks. I think these are pretty good scriptural riverbanks. If you're just being dismissive, hey, Sabbath doesn't apply, it doesn't matter, and you're teaching others to believe that, I think you've gone too far. I think at that point, you're stepping out of Scripture. I think if you go to the other extreme, and it's like, you're just, you've got to comply. You've got to make sure you're following every one of these little rules, and you're judging everyone who's not doing it the way you're doing it. I think that's outside of Scripture, too. I think within those riverbanks, we've got a lot of freedom in Christ, And what we want to lock into is, am I observing? Which is a beautiful word. It's noticing. That's what observe is. I notice and I'm going to, I'm going to be attentive to this and to enjoy. Sabbath is a delight. If it doesn't feel delightful, then you can keep trying to zero in on that compass. Does that make sense? All right. This next one here, this is another one of these like, Halfway through the series, I'm like, I can't wait till week five because I feel like this is really, like, for at least for me, this is an insight. Abundant fruit of the Spirit is an indicator you're trending the right direction. It hit me about halfway in the series. If you're not resting, what does that do to the fruit of the Spirit? What is the fruit of the Spirit? It is joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. How are you doing on those things when you're not rested? Are you at your best when it comes to peace? Are you at your best when it comes to patience? Self-control? We got a built-in gauge, you guys. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. If you find yourself struggling with those, it might be a rest thing. And you might need to like, okay, I got to find more rest so I can access this. And then, on that same note, anxiety, irritability, greed, self-centeredness, those are indicators that you're drifting away. If you're finding a lot of that, Sabbath is meant to be corrective to those things. So if you find yourself struggling in those areas, that could be a helpful way to reorient your compass towards practices that are helping you in those areas. All right. We could offer countless tips, but we're already just pushing the boundaries of time and all kinds of things here, like including the classic, hey, if you work with your body during the week, rest you know, your body during your Sabbath, if you work with your mind, rest your mind, there's all kinds of great tips. But this is one last thing that I want to say, and I'll just touch on it because it needs to be touched on, is the Lord of the Sabbath, the Lord of your devices. I will go as far as saying this. Not only can you not experience Sabbath rest if you don't get that under control, you can't experience authentic Christianity if you don't get that under control. So get some help with that. All right, well, I encourage all of us, with, with this series, press in. What does it mean for us to apply this? And um, I want to encourage you to be praying for us this coming weekend. Uh, we're going to be taking 
about 150 kids to camp this this weekend, 150 of us, and another 40 or 50 the next weekend. Pray for us because that first camp, we're talking specifically about the whole devices thing. We'd really love that. All right, well, these things I've given you, these are some things that I'm working on. God may have brought others to your mind. What matters most, again, is in this moment we have right now to do what Hebrews reminds us of today. If you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Take a step towards that. And as you do, as you do, remember this. And there's last thing we'll have you write down here today. Remember that God is understanding, he's patient, and he's kind. We see that in the scriptures consistently. Over and over again, he is patient, he is kind, he sees you. He sees you trying to juggle more than you can juggle. And the reason you're juggling it is because they're all valuable things. You don't want any of them to fall. He sees you when you're trying to struggle. How do you do this in a world where it just seems impossible? In his world, in his word, we see Paul cautioning us about pointing fingers at others. And I hope you're not feeling that from us today. I hope instead what you hear us doing is pointing to this better way and pointing to Jesus and all of these promises that come with it. Pointing to the one who said, come to me and I will give you rest. The same Jesus who forgave sins on the Sabbath, that's the same Jesus who died on a cross for our sins, for our Sabbath-breaking so that we don't have that pressure of, I've got to get this right or else. We couldn't. He did that for us. Now, in that grace, that same God wants to send us his spirit, empower us, help us to have other people who can help us step by step experience more of this delight that God has laid out for us. So today, if you can sense that calling, that he's calling you to take a step, we encourage you to do that today. And one of the ways you can do that is by commemorating communion with us. If you're at home, when we pray these prayers, if you can sincerely pray these prayers we're about to pray, we invite you to take the the wine or the juice, take the, the bread, dip that in there, and remember that this is the body and blood of Christ given and shed for you. For those of us who are here, there won't be ushers. As, um, instead, we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to be your usher. We'll have some people that will be up here with the elements at any time during this um, this uh, these next songs. If the Holy Spirit convicts you to say, I want to take a step towards God, I want to, I want to receive from him, and maybe it'll even be a specific thing, you could say, God, I want to give this up to you. Or even pray, God, give me a next step. We invite you to do that. So let's pray these prayers together, then make them your own, and join us in this holy moment. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, to whom all hearts and minds are open, and all desires are known, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts, by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may more perfectly love you and more worthily magnify your holy name. We confess that we are sinners and cannot save ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us. Renew us and lead us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. We are not worthy for these gifts which we are about to receive, but say the word and we will be made clean. Lord, we pray that you'll give each and every one of us a next step. Lord, help us not to be overwhelmed like like the people were in the time where there were so many people who were putting all these burdens. You must do this. You must do this. You must do this when it came to Sabbath. 
Help us instead, Lord, to see this glorious next step, this, this glorious future that we can walk towards and inspire us with the next step that would bring us closer to that. And now, Lord, we join our, na- our, our voices here in a prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, Jesus, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.